the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, starting in verse 5, all the way through the end of 18. So if you'll turn there, uh, I'll go ahead and read it, and then I'll pray for God's blessing on our time, and then we'll, uh, we'll dig into it. So this is, again, Hebrews, starting in verse 5, going through uh, verse 18. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source— That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of his people, For he, because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. This is God's word. Let's pray for his blessing on it this evening. Father, we come before you as men and women who are in need. We are not independent, we're not self-sufficient, but we are hungry, we're thirsty, we get tired, we get discouraged. Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight, that you would provide for us, that you would care for us. I pray that you would show us your grace and your love and your mercy in your son Jesus, that as we come to this word, that you would proclaim to us what you want us to understand. I pray that you would send your spirit upon us in this room, that we would have our hearts softened, our eyes opened, our ears opened to hear what it is that you want us to hear. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon me, that as, as I talk about this passage, that it would be in a way that is good and true and helpful, that it, is, it works and it is uh, accurate and encouraging and, and good for building these people up. I pray that as we hear this word, that we would not be unchanged, but Lord, that you would be at work in our hearts, making us more and more to be the men and women that you're making us to be. It is in your Son's name I pray. Amen. My wife, Anna Kristen, and I just finished watching a show that we kind of became obsessed with. Maybe you a little bit more so than me. Uh, It's called Love Island. Have any of y'all seen Love Island? It's kind of like the British version of The Bachelor, Bachelorette. So it's like a reality dating TV show. And I think it's a lot better than it in a lot of ways. Um... Not the least because they, they have like fun British accents to listen to when they're you know going through the the process of the dating show and they're also like a lot more polite on British reality TV than in America American TV like there's like one tenth the amount of drama but they, they kept saying something in the show as we were watching it that I thought was really interesting basically anytime something bad happened 
Anytime something didn't go their way, anytime, you know, one of the guys was like, you know, trying to couple up with uh, one of the girls or, you know, vice versa, and the other person wasn't interested or, uh, you know, they were kind of caught out in a lie and there was a little bit of drama, they kind of said the same thing. No matter what hard thing happened, no matter what happened when something didn't go their way, no matter what happened when they were like in the midst of suffering, even though that's kind of minor, but still suffering, they said, it is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. That is what they said over and over and over again. And what they were saying is basically like, hey, I can't change anything. I can't change anything that I have done in the past or uh, about the circumstances that have kind of not gone the way that I've wanted. I can't change their this other person's mind. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. I'll be okay. I'll make it. And that might work for a bunch of like 20-something like – 20-something of the most, like, attractive British people who are on this reality TV show that's going to make them celebrities and quite wealthy. Um, But does that response work for y'all when you're in the midst of suffering? Does that response work for people when hard times come, right? It might work when it's something minor. Um, Well, you know, I failed that quiz. It is what it is. But as time goes on, and I know some of y'all have suffered, like, very deeply you know, and I would just would, would challenge that assertion that, like, the, the sort of it-is-what-it-is approach to suffering, it just doesn't work. It's not satisfying. It doesn't help anyone. Like, what, like imagine if, if one of your friends really lost someone they loved, and, and in your sort of, like, the way that you'd built your life, the way that you'd thought about suffering, your response was, well, it is what it is. I don't think that that person would feel very comforted by that. <laughs> Because uh, it doesn't work. It's not, uh, it's not good. Uh, that, that approach is sort of like basically what you're, they're trying to do is to ignore suffering, to minimize it. And so what I would invite you to ask this, this evening and to suggest is, um, you know, your, how does your foundation for life, how does the thing that you're building your life around, how does that account for and deal with suffering? How does the thing that you are looking to to satisfy you because whatever it is that you're looking to to satisfy you, to the thing that you dream about, the thing that you serve, that's actually the object of your worship. Whatever that thing is, does that account for and help you to deal with suffering? And if it doesn't, you know, I think that's a problem for y'all. Because I don't want to get, like, too heavy. Um, but the truth is that we're all going to suffer in this life. Suffering is is a guarantee. And if Jesus, like, waits long enough to come back and to triumph over death, like, we're all going to die, too. So, like, the way that you are building the, you know, your, the, the value system of your life, the, the things that you believe in, the things that you trust, I would encourage you for the, to, like, whatever that is, to make it something that's going to account for and help you deal with those facts. And what I would suggest is that the Bible has an answer, that this passage has an answer to that that has an answer to something to build your life on a foundation for your life that can actually help you deal with suffering. Right? The Bible has a real answer. And it's an, honestly an answer that you won't find anywhere else, in any of the other world religions, in any sort of human philosophies, in, in common sense, in just our sort of best way of trying to figure out life. Like You won't find this answer. This passage suggests the following, that, that because Jesus has suffered that we can trust him to deliver us out of suffering. Because Jesus has suffered, 
We can trust him to deliver us. That, 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 that idea that Jesus has suffered, like what it means is that the God of the universe took on the form of, of a human being who was liable to suffer, who was able to suffer, and he did it for us. That can help us to deal with suffering. I want, I want to suggest two, look at two angles on, on how and why Jesus suffered. One is that Jesus became perfect through suffering. Jesus became perfect through suffering. Secondly, that Jesus became like us through suffering. So Jesus became perfect in suffering, became like us through suffering. So first off, Jesus became perfect through suffering. And that uh, like that was just straight up said in the passage, right? Um, it said that in, uh, in verse 10, it said that it was fitting that he, talking about Jesus, it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist— and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, I know what you might be thinking, like, hey, hold on a second. Wasn't Jesus perfect? Wasn't he perfect before he suffered? Wasn't he perfect? He was God from all eternity? Wasn't he perfect? And to which I would say, yeah, you're absolutely right. Let's, let's dig into this passage and see what it meant by that. Um, what is meant by that? Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is God himself, Right? Earlier in the passage, we see this is the person, Jesus is the person to whom everything was put in subjection. The entire, like he, he is the rightful ruler of the world, is what it says. In verse 6, it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Subjection is just like he rules over it. He has the authority over it, the power over it. And the, and the passage acknowledges, right, like, though Jesus rules, when we look at the world, it doesn't necessarily look like that's the case. It says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, because evil remains in this world. There is suffering that exists in this world. Bad things happen on the news or in our communities. We see evil at work. Evil is present. It is not yet wiped out. So we do not, that's what it means when it says we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But what it says is, uh, it suggests that the present reality is, is that Jesus is ruling. But how can that be? How can that be? It kind of solves that answer, solves that problem. It says, but, but in verse 9, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death. For everyone, what we do see is Jesus' suffering, right? We don't see him in his, like, clearly the way that we see each other right now. We don't see him on his throne ruling and reigning, but we do see him in his suffering. We can see that as the Bible has testified about it. There are stories in the Bible of how Jesus has willingly gone and suffered on our behalf, um, right? We don't, and it's interesting, doesn't it, say, like, that because of the suffering of death, that Jesus was crowned with glory and honor, because of his suffering, he receives glory and honor. And usually, right, we don't think of suffering in those ways. How can the suffering, any suffering, even the suffering of Jesus, lead to glory? What I want you to see in this passage, in this verse right here, it's, it says it. It says, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What that's referring to is that when Jesus suffered... He wasn't just doing it in a vacuum. He was doing it to accomplish a purpose, 
to taste death for everyone on behalf of those people who know Jesus. He has tasted death for them. He has suffered for them, and therefore he's saved them. He's delivered them. He's, he's, he's won them the promise of eternal life. And so, therefore, like because he has suffered in the service of rescuing people, therefore, that's why he receives glory and honor. Right? This type of suffering, in verse 10 it says, it's described as fitting or appropriate, right? Uh, like uh, fitting or suitable, something that was uh, like going to fit in the right place. It's described as fitting. What that means is that it actually works to accomplish the purpose that God has designed for it. That is to free us, to, to save us from death and from suffering. It is fitting and it actually works to accomplish the purpose that God sent Jesus to do, which is to live the perfect life, to die the death that you and I deserved, and to rise from the dead, uh, earning us eternal life. So what is it that this, you know, I've talked a lot about the suffering of Jesus, and we could go through kind of a detailed study in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at what did the suffering of Jesus look like? There's a big picture, a detailed picture of this. Um, he suffered in both physical and spiritual ways. Like, think about it. A lot of times when we think of Jesus, we tend to think of him either just as, you know, the baby in the manger, or perhaps we think of him on the cross. But he was 30, 33 when he went to the cross. He lived for about 30 years on earth. That's 30 years of, like, just normal life. Normal, mundane suffering. Jesus, like, worked with his dad. He was a carpenter. He, like, got splinters in his hands. He stubbed his toe. He was hungry. He was tired. We see in the Bible uh, plenty of times where people rejected him. People who he loved, people who he had trusted betrayed him. People who he thought were his friends uh, ignored him. His own family thought he was crazy. There were times when crowds of people gathered to try to uh, attack and murder him, kind of as as a riotous mob. Jesus suffered in ordinary ways. But he also suffered in extraordinary ways, in spiritual ways. When he went to the cross, he was nailed to the cross, he was executed by the Romans. He suffered both in the sense of that he was executed in a very painful way, but also that uh, the Father, that God, poured out all of the wrath and judgment which all of the human race had earned because they had sinned against God. So he, he suffered not only ordinarily and physically, but also extraordinarily and spiritually. Um, he suffered in his normal life and in his death upon the cross where he atoned for sins. And what this means is that the problem that Jesus came to deal with was more serious than you and I would care to imagine. Um, it's more serious and, and dangerous than we care to admit, right? Sin, which is this sort of Christian-y word that we that can refer to basically like any breaking of, of God's law, any any rejection of God's right authority, any rejection of God, sin is also the, the root cause of decay and death in this world. Sin had to be dealt with in order for the world to be redeemed and put right. Jesus entered into this suffering in order to become qualified, ready, and prepared to deal with our sin and to free us from it. The suffering and death of Jesus mean that he was the right man for the job. He was the right guy. The suffering that he went through through his whole life and then on the cross means that he was qualified to mediate, to atone for our sins, to take our sins away from us, and to destroy them forever, to get rid of them. He's the right man 
to do. He was, uh, if you think of like a, a lock, like a masterly, masterly crafted lock, there's only one key that is going to fit that lock. You know, custom made, Jesus is that key that turns in the lock of sin and suffering to, to get rid of it and so that we could bask in God's love. By becoming a man and taking on suffering, Jesus took the death and suffering that was due to us, he took it on himself and died with it, freeing us from its pain and power. Because, you know, often to, in, in this case, like God used suffering to qualify Jesus, to make him ready. That's what it refers to. That's what it means when it says that he was made perfect through suffering. Not perfect in the sense, I feel like usually when we think of it, uh, the term perfect, we mean like uh like perfect and infinitely good and spotless and stainless without any sort of blemish or mistake or evil. And Jesus was already those things before he became a man, before he took on human flesh. But what this means here, what the word perfect in the Bible sometimes means is complete, well-rounded, like like sort of ready for action, ready for the purpose that it was designed for. The founder of their salvation was made complete or qualified or suitable through suffering. That's the kind of like meaning that y'all should uh, take away from that passage. Um, it makes me think of, uh, I'm about to spoil uh, an old TV show for you guys here. So uh, if, if any of you have uh, not seen The Office, I'm very sorry. So y'all know the character of Dwight, uh, who is the assistant to the regional manager or assistant regional manager, depending on who you ask in the office. Um, and he wants more than anything to become the manager, the regional manager of Dunder Mifflin Scranton, and he tries consistently throughout all the seasons to take paths that are going to get him there. Um, he fails, though, time and time again, right? He goes behind Michael's back to try to steal his job. He goes and meets with Jan, but he gets busted. He gets caught, and as punishment, Michael uh, makes him do his laundry for a year, so that didn't work. And then when Michael goes to interview for the job at corporate, thinking it's a lock, he, he kind of already prematurely gives Dwight the manager job. Dwight paints the office like black and gets this like ridiculous marble uh, desk and like hangs a bunch of his stuff in the office. Um, and, 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 and he is so excited. And, and then Michael doesn't get the job and he comes back and Dwight, disappointed, has to slink back to his place as a salesman. Right? Like... Uh, he, and then later on, when he is actually made act and acting manager by uh, when, when, with a saber transition, he almost literally shoots himself in the foot when he just shoots a gun in the office. Um, and he's removed from that position at every step of the way. Things don't go right for him. He's fired. He's rejected. He has struggles and suffering in his personal life, right? Like Angela breaks his heart multiple times. Dwight even has to work for Jim for a time. But... Right? In the end, he's able to uh, – he's promoted to manager in the last season, the last little bit. Um, and he's asked, you know, like, if he gets along with his coworkers. And Dwight first says, you know, I don't have coworkers, I have subordinates. But um, then he goes on to list all of the things that he loves about everyone that he works with. You know, he, he has this whole long list, and he ends by saying, you know, my top salesman, Jim Halpert, was best man in my wedding, and office administrator, Pamela Beasley Halpert, is my best friend. So, yes, I'd say I've gotten along with my subordinates. Like, Dwight, like, kind of hated all those people at the beginning of the show. But because he suffered a lot, he was qualified, he was made ready to be the manager. He had grown, he had grown through suffering. And right, it's kind of an analogy because Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. 
But he was made suitable to be our savior because he suffered. He was made perfect. He was made complete. He was made ready to fulfill the job of Messiah, of savior, because he suffered. And so it's not just an example for us. Like the purpose of this is not to say, well, because Jesus suffered, you can suffer too. Like, woohoo. That's not what the point is. What you need to see rather is this, that Jesus is the right person for the job of savior for you because he suffered. Because he was willing to suffer. He was willing to suffer for you for every mistake that you've ever made. For every cruel word that you've ever spoken, for every cruel word, cruel thought you've had about someone else, he suffered for that. For every lustful thought you've had, for every, every time you've been tempted to use someone else, for every rebellious choice that you've made, every attempt that you've made to try to define your life on your own and to, to live apart from what God says, for everything that, that you kind of have done in, in, in breaking uh, God's law, right? the rightful punishment according to the Bible was death for those things. But Jesus was willing to take that on himself if it meant that you could be with him. If it meant that you could be cleaned and redeemed and washed. If he meant that he could heal you of those things. He suffered so that according to the grace of God, he might taste death for everybody. And if this is true, then we ought to look to his death and resurrection as our hope, right? And so, like, no matter where you're at, whether you don't know Jesus or you you know Jesus, then... What, what, like, the application for this point is, like, look to his death and resurrection. Look to him, uh, look to his salvation. He offers this to you, right? If you, if you confess with your mouth and believe uh, in your heart that he is Lord, that God raised from the dead, that you will be saved, you'll have eternal life. Though you might suffer in this life, you will be redeemed and you will be united with God and, and you will be more loved and more accepted than you could ever imagine, this is what the gospel is. This is the promise of the gospel. If you do those things, if you, if you believe in him, then the, his death will have been for you. It will have been on your behalf. And it will have won for you, it would have earned for you the actual righteousness and perfection that he deserved. But because he loves you, he was willing to give that up. Whatever you've done in your life, no matter what you might be ashamed of, right? he is willing to receive you. But that's not the only reason we see in this passage that Jesus suffered. Because while that is great, that's beautiful, we still suffer in this life. We still experience hard things. How can Jesus have bearing on the suffering that we experience now? And what I would suggest to you is that uh, Jesus also became like us through suffering. So if the first point was Jesus became perfect through suffering, Jesus also became like us in suffering Look at, a, look at verse 11. It says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. The one who sanctifies, to sanctify something is to, to wash or to purify or to clean, to cleanse. And it's a word that we use, it's a word that the Bible used, that, that uh, pastors use to talk about the process of growing in your faith, the process of maturing and, and kind of going along in the Christian life. To be sanctified is to progress. And notice that that's in the passive tense. You don't sanctify yourself in this passage. It says, he who sanctifies is talking about God. God is the one who sanctifies the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That Jesus who sanctifies us 
And those who are sanctified all have the same source, which is God. God has sent Jesus to the earth to win redemption for us. And those who he calls to himself who are being sanctified, they have the same source. And so as Jesus suffered, we also suffer. Also, as we suffer, so also Jesus suffered. And I know that that's kind of confusing, but those two distinctions, I think, are helpful for us to think through. Right? As we suffer, so Jesus suffered. Jesus knows what it's like for us to suffer. But also, like just like Jesus suffered, so we suffer. When we suffer, we're doing something kind of like what happened to Jesus. We're being made more like Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what it is like to suffer. He doesn't just know what suffering is in an intellectual way or because he's God and and as God he knows all things, but he knows what suffering feels like intimately and deeply. He knows what rejection feels like. He knows what physical pain feels like. He knows what hunger feels like. He knows what being in financial need feels like. He knows what loneliness feels like. All of the things that you suffer or that people in this world suffer, Jesus knows what those feel like and he has experienced them. Right? That's what it means when it says, um, in verse 17, it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus was made like us in every respect so that he knows how to be merciful and faithful to us. Like, there's nothing out there like that. There's no other religion that taught, that teaches this. That their God became a lowly, like, crying, sniveling, snotty baby because he loved his people and was willing to take all that on and be hungry and thirsty and to, like, experience the hard things of this life and then to die really horribly so that his people could be saved because he was merciful, right? No other worldview considers a God who voluntarily entered into suffering so that he might be with us and to be like us. Um, None of the things, think about this, like what are other things that you might be tempted to build your life around? None of the other things that either y'all might be tempted about or that other people on campus, nothing that people might build their lives around apart from Jesus do this. Think about some of the things people serve, money, reputation, good grades, achievements, performance, pleasure, comfort. How can those things answer suffering? They can't. The only two answers that they might be able to give, one is, one is to say, well, just try harder. If you're suffering, it means you're doing something wrong. It means you're not trying hard enough. It means you haven't been smart enough. You haven't worked hard enough. You're not doing the right things. You're not ticking the right boxes. Or the other approach is to say, well, if you're suffering, just try to ignore it. Numb it out. You know, listen to, listen to more music, watch more TV, play more video games, eat good food. Just do something to distract yourself. Ignore it. For any of the other things that you might serve, right, the, the only responses to suffering are these. Either to deny the reality of suffering, just ignore it, or to blame you for it. You know, if you're suffering, it's because you weren't strong enough or, or to blame others for it. But I think implicit in that is saying, you know, like you could have defend, you know, you could have you could have been strong enough to kind of avoid suffering. But the Christian worldview, what the Bible says is that when, when you experience suffering, what the Bible says is that God enters into it with you. 
that because of sin and evil, we all suffer and that it's actually inevitable. You can't be good enough or strong enough to avoid it forever. And you also can't ignore it forever because it's real and it's worth mourning and lamenting and crying over. Instead, for a Christian, when they experience suffering, Jesus opens his nail-scarred hands to them. And he says, you know, me too. I know what that feels like. I know what you're going through. You need a Savior who has suffered because you suffer. And what I want to suggest to you is that Jesus is that guy. Jesus is that man. Jesus is that God who has suffered. He's the only one who lowered himself to be made like us in his suffering. And so suffering is a way that we are like Jesus. It's also a way that Jesus is like us. We will uh, talk more a little bit about suffering and maybe some of the reasons. Some of this is kind of like really focusing on like why did Jesus suffer? We'll talk a little bit more about like suffering from our perspective later in the semester. Um, But this at least is an answer. God did not count suffering as something that was beneath him. But because he loves us, he entered into it to be with us. Uh, There's a man named Nicholas Wolterstorff who uh, his son died in a mountain climbing accident when he was 25. Um, And he wrote this. He said, God is not only the God of the sufferers, but the God who suffers. The pain and fallenness of humanity have entered into his heart. Through the prism of my tears, I've seen a suffering God. And great mystery to redeem our brokenness and lovelessness. The God who suffers with us did not strike some mighty blow of power, but sent his beloved son to suffer like us. Through his suffering to redeem us from suffering and evil. Instead of explaining our suffering, God shares it. And so if this is true, if this is like true for us, the point is to, I think an application is to take your suffering to Jesus. No matter what it is. It might be like little. It might be like, man, like I got stuck, stuck a red light and I got angry for no reason. Like that happens to me sometimes. Like take that to Jesus in the deepest things. When you are struggling with something, when you're experiencing pain or loss, like God is not afraid to enter into that with you until, like, you can take that to him because he knows what it's like. He knows and cares for you and your well-being. He might provide a way out. Like, he, he might provide for you in the midst of suffering. I've known that to happen in my life. I've seen that happen in other people's lives. But he might not. He might strengthen you in the midst of it. He might strengthen your mind and your heart to bear the, the suffering for the time being. Another point, I think, to, to make, another application, is to rejoice in what Jesus has done. But I'm not, I'm not saying, like, rejoice when you suffer. That's weird. But, but rejoice in what Jesus has done for you. Rejoice in the fact that, man, God loves you so much that he, like, in all of his infinite majesty and glory, like, was willing to enter into a fleshy human body that was liable to experience pain and hardship. Rejoice in the fact that he loves you so much that he was willing to suffer on your behalf. Um, I know it's just August, and, but, and it's kind of early to talk about Christmas, but um, I think the truths and the beauty of Christmas are applicable year-round, and this is really what Christmas is about, that God was willing to enter our world. He took on human form as an infant and was born. The pastor, J.I. Packer, writes this. He says, We see now what it meant for the Son of God to empty himself and become poor. It meant a laying aside of glory, a voluntary restraint of power, an acceptance of hardship, isolation, ill treatment, and misunderstanding. Finally, a death that involved such agony, 
spiritual even more than physical, that his mind nearly broke. It meant love to the uttermost for unlovely human beings. That's us, unlovely human beings. That they, through his poverty, might become rich. The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory. Because of the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. It's the most wonderful message that the world has ever heard or will hear. Y'all, you will not find this anywhere else outside of Jesus Christ, a God who loves you so much he was not willing to kind of let you suffer on your own, but who enters into the midst of suffering with you. And I know, like, practically, like, when y'all are in the midst of suffering, sometimes it's, it's not easy to be like, oh, yeah, like, I remember Jesus suffering with me. But that's the truth. That's what the Bible shows to us. And he is with you and he mourns for you. Right? When the world or, or our sinful hearts might tell us, you know, if, if you fail, if you suffer, it's your fault. Be better. Or the world or our hearts, our sin might tell us in the midst of suffering, just turn away, protect yourself, enjoy yourself, cut yourself off so that you don't get hurt. What Jesus says instead, I know how it feels. I love you. I'm with you. Let's pray. Father,